It's January 14th, 2021. This is Rook. to the West as a little kid from Iran in the late 1990s and walked the path between his Persian roots and his new Canadian home. He fell in love with making beats in his bedroom and by his teens had a viral hit getting millions of streams. Now After Hill is set to release his debut album, Tehranto. It comes out tomorrow and he's here today. And later in the program, Salman Taherpur and his Kiani concept, design and accessories that draw on a proud Iranian past. He joins us from Sweden, plus new editions of It's All Persian to Us and Hospitality. This is conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 76 of Rook. Welcome to those of you listening around the world. Durud Barshoma. Khoshamadid. Hope you're all doing okay. Not storming the capital, literally. Uh, we are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity coming to you on SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Telegram. So if you'd like to see some visuals with your Rook, Switch over to YouTube right now, and if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Farsi, check us out on Telegram, etc., etc. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. How are you, sir? Hello, I'm sir. Around. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, hello, the fabulous Kion. Hello, Vijian. With avec uh, cola cap. Always. Always. Yeah, that's your brand. <laughs> uh, with the baseball cap and groovy Shia. Hi. Ruby. Merci. Mizuni. Gole gole. Shaya, how was your game yesterday? Oh, thank you very much. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to send you a text yesterday, but I went to bed. And I, I mean, oh, I. Thank I, you. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. It was delicious. Oh, yeah. well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, you devoured you. it. Uh, You're yeah. a game eating machine. You know, it devoured <laughs> it. You know what that means, no, right? No, no. Balidi. Oh, like swallow yeah yeah, like you eat it yeah you ate it really quickly oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i devoured i I said you devoured it he was looking it was like the simpsons he was just like (laughs) looking looking straight at me and his eyes were not shutting they were just like (laughs) um some uh interesting voices in the diaspora today uh coming up in a little bit we have a a young guy named aria safakish who goes by the the artist named after hill after is an iranian canadian hip-hop artist and You know, he's really good. He's really good. And his debut album comes out tomorrow. So he is here. We'll discuss his life coming from Iran, settling with his family in Canada, falling in love with beats and rap, and getting Erfan, the popular Persian hip-hop star, to feature on his record, rapping in English for the first time. Yes, actually, I was going to say, I I, I just saw Erfan's story that he said that 
I'm, uh, it's the first time that I rapped in English and he mentioned after Hill and I, I sent him that, oh, <laughs> after, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and by the way, what's the album called? Tehranto. Yeah. So it's a great, uh, great story. Looking forward to After Hill joining us. Then later in the show, Salman Taherpur is going to join us from Sweden. Uh, he's the founder of Kiani Concept, where he creates these um, high-quality jewelry and accessories, all inspired by symbols of our ancient Iranian history, uh, a rich and colorful heritage, and of the late Shah, as well as the Shah Banu. Kiani Concept, in about an hour from now. And, as if that was not enough, our resident captain of cuisine. The great chef Hoss Zareh will be on the line from San Francisco with his latest edition of the Rook Hospitality. Hi, this is your chef Hoss Zareh. And this is Rook Hospitality. It just makes me smile. It makes it, it just smiles all around. So good. Cute. Uh, listen, if you are interested in Rook, and want to go to uh, the place where you can find out more about us, link to all of our platforms, see all of our episodes, read the Rook Reads, including the latest one just posted this week, rookmedia.com. Rook me- you know, I was thinking, Captain Reza, about that there was a time, actually mm-hmm. that time stretched for about four months, where we made jokes about the fact that we didn't have a website. That's right. The website is really good now. It is really good. Ponce of the Artist has like done an amazing job. It's yeah. it's it's interactive. It's there's links to everything. You can go and click on a person's name, one of the guests who's been on the show, and it goes to a full page about them and all the things they've done on the show. And uh, oh, I'm excited about it. Long way we've come a long way. Yeah, oh, I like it. Thank you for your excitement. <laughs> Jesus. Come a long way. Yes. <laughs> what do I get this guy a coffee or something? <laughs> Captain Reza, you're the director of the show. It's At least fake that you're excited about it. <laughs> it's like we, we have uh, a robot in studio. It's, uh, <laughs> it is a website, uh, yes. Oh, this is, um, yeah. hello. Oh. These two, man. All right. There, yeah. Rookmedia.com. Anyway, with that sell job from uh, Captain Reza, people are like, well, if that guy's not that into it, it can't be, you know, why would I go? It looks great. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll say Thank it. you. The fabulous key on. It looks amazing. No, really, it does. It looks yeah. fantastic. Well, it's not just that it looks good, it's that, uh, you know, you can it's functional. link to the Functional. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No, it is cool. It is functional. Oh, well, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, thanks. You Go just ahead. repeat it what Good I job. said. Right. Don't, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't, don't anymore. All right. Let's get to, let's get to work here. So After Hill coming up, Salman Tahirpur coming up, Chef Haas coming up. But first, she's a woman of letters, rook letters, that is, a dear friend, a diaspora blend, a gym fanatic, a kook who can be erratic, but lovable, smart, and funny, and on a journey to discover what we actually discovered. Here we go, Bachaha. It's all Persian to us with Kion Nademi. Gotta love that Baba Kata music. 
Nice moves, Shai. Shai has become our very own Shali Zamaradi. <laughs> dancing in the, in the control booth. I love how Haas's intro makes you feel like you're on acid and Kian's intro makes you feel like you're at Persian Mehmuni. There's <laughs> <laughs> always time for a Persian we, Mehmuni. We got our theme switched around So there. what is uh, all Persian to us today, Kian Nadami? All right. With so much negative publicity around Iranians in recent years, I've been on this quest to uncover some of the positive aspects of being Iranian. Got a girl. And more specifically, positive contributions from Iranians to the world. Our gifts to humanity, Jian. Yes. So it's a known fact that Iranians love to claim that everything was in fact first invented by the Persians. We do this so often. Is that the way Iranians sound? That's exactly <laughs> that's how Iranians British Iranians, yeah. <laughs> The Everything intelligent ones okay, <laughs> with yeah. a pipe in their hands. Yes. You know, uh, we do this so often in our culture that one might even think it's genetic. So, of course, not everything was first invented by the Persians, but we did come pretty close. So a very popular movie by the name of Wonder Woman came out recently. Oh. It's based on a DC comic by the same name, which tells the fictional story of a warrior princess by the name of Diana of Themyscira, who grows up on a secluded island with a race of warrior women by the name of the Amazons. So this Wonder Woman is known to possess exceptional strength, skills, superpowers, which she uses to fight off evil forces. So, you know this story, right? Well, Wonder Woman? well we know Wonder Woman. Well, we yeah. know but where the Iranian part is coming. Yeah, yeah, we're waiting for... So <laughs> it, I'm, I'm guessing... Well, Iranian... Uh, Wonder Woman is not Iranian herself. I'm getting to it. Oh, God, oh, she might have be? We, have we run out of patience <laughs> in this studio? Okay, so Wonder Woman, of course, is just a fictional story. But it's no secret that Iranian women are historically known for their impressive strength and perseverance over the course of thousands of years. So it doesn't come as a surprise that Wonder Woman, or more specifically, the legend of the Amazons, is actually based on warrior women from ancient Persia. Oh. Mm -hmm. Is that true? That's well, let me elaborate. Okay. So the real Amazon... Is that true? She's <laughs> got a segment here. <laughs> yes, I mean, obviously yes, it's true. <laughs> the I end. feel like she's talking Thanks to me. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> no, she's faking. Uh, <laughs> so, so the real Amazons were long believed to be purely imaginary. They were known as the mythical warrior women who were the arch enemies of the ancient Greeks. Greek historian Herodotus famously wrote an exaggerated, might I add, account of their origin story. Of course, the epic battles between the ancient Greeks and Persians are well known, and for years, experts even identified depictions of Persian women in battle with Greek men on ancient artifacts. This was rare for that time. How did they know that they were Persian women being depicted? Well, I mean, is it hard to tell what a female the looks like on... Uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, on, on uh, ancient artifacts, they would, so. they would show uh, female warriors dressed right, right, in Persian right, right, attire right, right, right. fighting off the Greeks. So that was their evidence right, of uh, right. Persian female warriors. So even by 470 AD, the Greeks began to refer to the portrayal of Persians as Amazons, turning their real-life enemies into mythological folklore. Oh. We were the Amazons. We yeah. were the Amazons. In like fact, crazy. the word Amazon itself comes from Persian language, which translates to warrior. Wow. Yeah. Is it a far sea word? Amazon. It's a. It's an old uh, a Persian word. Oh it's man. a very old Next word. Next thing you know, Jeff Bezos is from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Dig in, and you might find something. <laughs> but besides all that, recent archaeological findings now prove, without a doubt, that these warrior women known as the Amazons really did once exist. Several graves of Scythian and Sarmathian warriors, people of Persian heritage, were discovered dating back to thousands of years ago. And through DNA testing, many of them were found to be 
female warriors. Now, these people were men and women, known for their skills in horsemanship and archery in battle. The women were trained since childhood to ride on horseback and to kill enemies with bow and arrows, skilled to be just as fast and as deadly as men. But of course, in today's world, Wonder Woman is known as an all-American feminist icon. But it's actually the Persian women who were the true feminists of ancient times. And so, as it turns out, Wonder Woman and the Amazons have Persian roots. It's all Persian to us. I'm not sure what we're clapping for. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> Woman or the Amazon? Honestly, I, I felt like clapping after yes, that because this yes. was a huge surprise to me. Yeah, you know, yes. Wonder Woman is this icon in pop culture. All American Represent- female I- uh, icon that was portrayed by an Israeli actress. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, actually so who Persian. knew? Who knew that there's actually Persian roots to this? So I, I'm quite impressed with this. The old school Wonder Woman, I'm sorry, Linda Carter, for some of us who <laughs> <can> remember, <laughs> was not, it was an American. But but uh, yeah, this is a, a very interesting discovery. And yeah. although it's really going to start feeding back into the, the, the notion that everything, <laughs> it's Iran, it's Persian. But here's the thing. I mean, these were tribal groups that had Persian heritage, similar to the Kurdish female fighters of yes, today, yes. actually. very There's some parale- parallels Can you do Aquaman that. now? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out, Aquaman... He's from Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lake in northern Iran. <laughs> you know, go back thousands of years and eventually everything roots back to the Persians. <laughs> Thank you very much, Keon. Uh, we've learned we've uh, rejoiced the roots of wonder woman and the amazons it's all persian to us with kia nademi Time to get to our feature guest, or the first of our feature guests on this edition of Rook. Uh, you know, for those of us who have lived in this vibrant, growing, and diverse city for most of our lives, Tehranto is a cute designation we used to use to describe a little area and a couple of streets in the north part of Toronto where there were some Persian restaurants and markets. But in 2021, with hundreds of thousands of Iranians now living in southern Ontario and the greater Toronto area, the moniker is less jokey and more simply accurate. And so it only makes sense that a brand new album, a debut no less, from a rising Torontonian hip-hop star that drops tomorrow would be called Tehranto. Take a listen to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pop. I still am a lick to my queens in the spot. Money don't sleep, so the sheep don't hop. Money don't sleep, so the sheep don't hop. Hey, hey, it's a motherfucking pop. I still am a lick to my queens in the spot. Money don't sleep, so the sheep don't hop. Money don't sleep, so the sheep don't hop. Hey, hey, motherfucker, just stop. Whoa, we ain't the same. I've been making beats. It's the fucking sixth grade Ain't legendary beat tapes Then I switch lanes Like gray matter beat Ain't seven days a week Ain't her long in the streets And her rhyme in the sheets It's enough shotties This dick ain't free
Three, six, five, till I'm running from the top. What you doing? What you doing? It's fine. Oh, it's a motherfucking pop. There you go. Little taste of the song called Bop off the brand new album Tehranto. The artist is Afta Hill, born Arya Safakish in Tehran in the late 1990s. He started making beats when he was 12 years old in Canada and by his mid-teens was getting literally millions of streams of his music on YouTube and Spotify as an instrumental beat artist named Safokash. But now, after Hill has moved behind the microphone and is a burgeoning hip-hop artist that's gaining the attention of both Persian and Western rap communities, tomorrow, January 15th, is the date that his debut album comes out and it is an adventurous creative compelling blend of rap soul political messaging artistry and fun and right now after hill joins me in the rook studio hello sir hello thank you for having me my friend it's a pleasure to have you here congrats on your new baby on this album (laughs) it's more than a baby it's really a piece of my soul it, it is. It's so much so that when we were just playing Bop there, you were actually uh, singing along to your own song, which is always beautiful to see. Like you're still into it. You're not sick of it yet. You know, what's funny is that sometimes in the process, because I produce, I do a lot of the mixing. I you do, do everything. Right? I do, so I do it's everything. pretty much all you. Yeah, yeah. 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 With, with the exception of the mastering and I'm mixing a little bit. But sometimes I also shoot the video and edit the video. So by the time the song comes out, I've literally heard it about a thousand times. Right, right. But but you like it enough to be lip syncing in front of me here, which I appreciate. I mean, this Tehran, I feel like if Drake put Toronto, you know, the six, as it's known, uh, on the map for many folks around the world. You might be the Persian version hip-hop star <laughs> yeah. to do that for Tehranto, uh, which would be really nice. You came to Canada in 1998 yes. uh, as a one-year-old with That's your family. Uh, and, and even at that time, uh, after just 22 years ago, there, there was a much smaller Persian community in this city. Tell me what Tehranto means to you. Well, as you said, it was small. I mean, these days you, you go anywhere in the city and you can hear somebody speaking Farsi just in in public. But I think what Tehranto means to me is this place that represents not knowing where home is because you can be, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, like for a lot of Persian kids, especially in the Western world, you often feel like you're not accepted with the insiders or the white kids or whatever and you're not accepted with the outsiders you're like this third thing this without a home without an identity person and that's kind of what i wanted to do with Toronto. i wanted to give those kids a feeling of oh no no there's you know other kids like me mm. that's kind of what it means to me it's this it's this home for people who don't have one and even in the two decades or just more than two decades you've been here you've seen that change in this city from a place where uh, somebody of Iranian descent might feel like more of an outsider to a place where, as you say, there's pretty much, I mean, it's not just now the north of the city, it's pretty much nowhere you go in Toronto where you don't, uh, it's freaky for me as someone who's (laughs) lived here for most of my life to suddenly be in a movie theater or in some bar downtown or on a street corner in a busy part of the city and hear Farsi. That's, that's a, it's a new feeling, but it really, as I say, I mean, Toronto was a bit of a joke. We used to, but it's, it's actually a definition now. Yeah. Uh, 
I used to have a joke with my girlfriend uh, of a couple years ago where, you know, we would like to, we, we just counted every time we went out somewhere and somebody was speaking Farsi next to us. And it was pretty much every single time we went mm. anywhere for any reason. And as you said, like, yeah, it used to not be a thing. I remember when I was younger, like, we would come into the city and I still wouldn't feel like anyone would understand me if I started speaking Farsi with my brother. But now it's like if you're on a you bus, gotta watch your back. you got to watch everything. <laughs> Was that the height of your relationship, by the way, going out and counting Persians? No wonder it didn't last. <laughs> That's your game? <laughs> uh, you know, you're actually from a place just north of Toronto. Uh, for correct. I mean, people in the Toronto area will know this, but for those listening around the world, called Richmond Hill, or as we know it in Farsi English, Richmond Hill. I got a story for you. One time, one of my family friends who just come here, uh-huh. she was describing to us where she was going. And she's like, uh, you know, I went here, I went here, and Markham. Uh, <laughs> and we're, I'm like, what? <laughs> There's a place called Markham. That's correct. That's uh, K-H. Markham. Uh, but, but the Richmond Hill thing is partly where your artist name comes from, right? That's I mean, correct. you were up until not too long ago, Aria. Where does After Hill come from? Let us know. After Hill comes from a conversation with my good buddy. Um, we used to frequently do delinquent things mm-hmm. in the after hours. And mm-hmm. one day we were having a conversation and delinquent things to yourself so you didn't you wouldn't go yes that's robbing correct. you you were you're, you're talking about like smoking joints or something yeah, yeah okay yeah. yeah um just setting the vibe setting the mood okay. for ourselves let's call it setting the vibe yeah, yeah let's do that and um he asked me he said hey man what are you gonna do after you leave richmond hill and i just i, I told him i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna do after the hill and we kind of looked at each other and exchanged the strange glance and we knew there was something there. And then uh, lo and behold, we just kind of shortened it so it sounds more like a name. Just did After Hill. That's amazing, and, After Hill. And the funny thing is I come today in this interview and today is literally After the Hill. You're moving just out. moved out. You're yeah. moving out of Richmond Hill. Uh, that's, that, that is fantastic. Listen, listen, on that note, let me play a little taste of the title track of your album that's germane to this conversation. This is a little bit of the new record. In fact, the name of the record is called Tehranto. This is the song Tehranto, After Hill. From the zero to one to the four one six twenty three gets old in the city when they kill. Back in '98, met the city that I love in the six. I got a blessing from above and I had to listen day once back before I popped off. Rather see a grave than a motherfucking cop car. I left my scars in Toronto. I'ma win the Grammy for it's all said and done. Though. I left my heart in Toronto. I left my heart in Tehranto. That's the name of the album. That's a little taste of the song, Tehranto, After Hill. It's interesting how Persian you are. I mean, <laughs> given that you've lived most of your, your I mean, basically your entire life, life in Canada, uh, I understand your parents made it a rule to speak Farsi at home when you were a kid. <laughs> That's correct. That, that it was enforced Persianness. Tell me about this. Yeah, I think that they understood the importance of carrying the culture into this new world and they they not only forced me and my brother to speak you know in farsi which which greatly helped me uh understand the language and the culture i think the other thing that's important is that i can communicate with my parents 
in the language that they understand the best. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a lot of friends here. Uh, for instance, one of my friends is Russian, but he doesn't speak Russian. Mm-hmm. And so when he mm-hmm. has to speak to his mom, there's this weird emotional barrier uh, where where he doesn't understand her emotions and vice versa. And I'm, I'm just glad that they chose to do that because now, obviously, I'm bilingual. But this was a serious rule, though, right? Yeah, you, absolutely. You, there was no English in the house. No English in the house unless it was just like me and my brother speaking and playing video games. Bad news. Bad news. It has to be better than mine. I grew up speaking... <laughs> You're, uh, give, give me a little Farsi. Shibeya. Okay, well, that sounded great. Yeah. Okay, that's some of your best work. Good stuff. I, you know what that is? That's like, do you remember being a kid and then being like, yeah, I speak Farsi, and then someone being like, oh, say something. And then you're like, <laughs> I know, I'm really sorry. I just did that to you. <laughs> I actually am. As soon as I said it, I was like, why am I doing this to the guy? But I was just curious to hear yeah. you speak a little Farsi because I can only assume it's very good then. I mean, it's, 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 it's in your case, it's your native tongue. Not oh, your, uh, yeah. more or yeah. less. More or less. I, I, what it is is that I can speak with pretty good syntax and, and grammar. And I think that's the most important thing is that I don't but, have weird inside out sentences. It, it, we're, we're, the reason I'm asking you and, and talking about you being so Persian is because it strikes, it, it, it invites the questions around identity, which are very mm-hmm. interesting to me. And, and um, you're sort of this quintessential guy that, um, there's every reason to believe you could be very Iranian, but there's every reason to believe you could be very non-Iranian. I mean, certainly there's second generation kids who, especially if they come here at one mm-hmm. years old, who have nothing to do with their uh, country of birth or their you know country of ancestry and very much see themselves as as steeped in where they where they are. your Your parents strikes me kind of have a paradox in that they wanted, their boys to grow up really understanding and, as I say, being steeped in Iranianness, mm-hmm. and yet they left because you said they they were tired of the culture of Iran. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you explain that contradiction? Um, the culture being the culture of how do you describe this? It's it's not like they hated Noruz or like you know what I mean or or the festival. They're rejecting the, yeah, 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 it's <laughs> yes, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was more a case of a country that doesn't have um, systematic rules in place or, or, or a consistency on how it enforces its rules to its people. Mm-hmm. And and it's very frustrating if you're somebody who makes an honest living or if you're somebody who is just a person whose hands are not in others' pockets all the time to be in a system where it does not reward you for an honest day's work you know you you end up some some people make fun of you and shit you know like look at you you go to work every day you don't make shit you know what i'm saying so that has to be a frustrating feeling especially knowing that um i mean in hindsight they came here and they were extremely successful because there are rules in place and i'm not saying canada is a perfectly fair and just society Mm. but compared to iran it's like it's really day and night. But it's interesting that they would, uh, and this is not unique to you. I mean, we all have yeah. this kind of paradox, and, and this is the part of the subtext of this whole program and this whole cultural mission we're on is kind of like tr- trying to figure out how we're navigating our identity. And it, when we come from a place that our parents wanted to leave, but also want us to feel connected to. Yeah, yeah. And do you find that that messed with you as a kid? Like, do you find that? 
you found moments where you're like, where the fuck do I belong? Where am I supposed to be? A hundred percent. I mean, much worse so than you. I, yeah. I, I, I went through years of being in an ethnic closet because for me it was not the 2000s like it was for you. <laughs> for me it was the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And, I was, and I really thought, you know, uh, I can't even tell people where I'm from because no one will relate. No one will like me. No one will, you know, I get, I get called a terrorist or be made fun of or whatever. So um, it was very difficult. And then, and then the realization in my late teens and into my early 20s that, wait a minute, I, I love Iranian culture. I love Iranian people. I love my family. Why am I hiding from this? This isn't because of what I've experienced in terms of the culture itself. It's because of what others want to project onto us, right? Yeah, and I find that um, once you accept your culture as an Iranian, especially as a diaspora Iranian, you start to realize that it's a humongous advantage in terms of I am much more interesting than, than John Hmm. Or, or Brent, because they don't have this 2,500-year history behind them. Beautiful. Nice. Yeah. But w- w- with that said, how how easy was it for your family to adjust to coming here? I mean, your your dad was a doctor in Iran. Your mom was a dietitian in Iran. They come here. I'm assuming they couldn't just slide into those no. careers when they got here. Um, what was – how clunky was the, the landing? I mean – as clunky as a immigrant story can get when you don't have a robust uh, system. I mean, Iranians come today and, you know, you can go to the supermarket and speak Farsi. You can go to the bank and speak Farsi. It's, it's not necessarily hard. But back when they came, it was like, all right, we're in a totally new ball game. So my mom had to uh, work full time. My dad had to work full time in a factory. So my mom would work during the day. My dad would work during the night. And both. And of your dad had been a doctor, and now he comes and works at a factory. Yes, a computer uh, database. It, uh, I think it's called Celestica. Not to take anything away from factory workers, no, no, but no. it's a it's it's a dramatic shift, big though, shift yeah. for sure. Um, from being from having a quote unquote prestigious job to coming and literally working with your hands all day on 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 computers. And um, how did that affect you? That change that your parents had to go through. Well, it didn't. Well, I opened my eyes here, right? So it's, it's kind of different. But for me, what it was is that I always saw them working as hard as possible. So in my head, I knew that I had to self-regulate. When we, when, when uh, my dad comes home and he's exhausted from working eight hours and he doesn't get any sleep because he has to watch me, I know that I'm not going to go and you know start a fire in the kitchen because I see it. I see mm. how hard he worked. Mm. I see the blood and the sweat and the tears that he's put in just to make me and my brother happy. So I'm not going to go around and flip tables. It should just be a shit disturber. So I really, ha- it forced me to grow up right away. Did there you was- see yourself growing up as an immigrant? Do you see yourself as an immigrant? I see myself as a, this is some hippie shit. I'm sorry. I see myself as a child of the world. Truly. Um, I don't, I don't ascribe myself to a place where I truly see myself as a citizen of the world. I, I love Canada with all my heart, but that feeling of, of, of being without a home is a strong one. And, and, yeah, and but ha- hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Your, your album is not called citizen of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put out a record called Toronto, Correct. which is exactly speaking to your identity, your background. Well, let me, so, let me posit this. So, we move here in 1998 and then we move again in i think 2003 
to Kingston, Ontario, uh, as my dad is getting his residency to become a doctor again. Okay. And then it's a we, smaller town in Ontario. It's yeah. a city, but a, a smaller one for those listening That's who don't, don't know it. Yeah. it. It actually has all the major jails, which is uh, where my mom worked as a dietitian in the jails. Okay. And then we moved to London, Ontario again, like three or four years later. And then we move again to Richmond Hill okay. when I'm starting ninth grade. So I was never in one place right. for longer than a couple of years. You're on a tour of Ontario, yeah. as it turns out. Yeah. And, and in between all of this, every two, three summers, I'm going to a run to visit my family. So I truly was always sort of on the move and had to get used to the idea that home is wherever you make it. But when you, um, okay, the citizen of the world, I get that. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I've used that kind of, uh, um, we are global people. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but uh, I, I, I used to call myself a nowhere-ian because I, could, I mean, I, I really <laughs> am not really from anywhere it. in particular. It mm-hmm. doesn't, how can I possibly, you know, a, a kid who grew up in a Persian family, born in London, moves to Canada, lives in a Jewish community. I mean, where, you know, uh, what, what's my, uh, but can, can recite the Lord's Prayer because I learned it when in, <laughs> growing up in England. We yeah. used to do it at the, at the beginning of school every day. Um, but if you see a new arrival from somewhere, be it Iran or from India or uh, from Europe or somewhere in Africa, uh, I'll bet you relate to them on some level. Certainly. So you, you are a citizen of the world, but you, you, you understand immigrant. the immigrant experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is being a citizen of the world but being an immigrant, mm. right? I mean, you have to consider that there is um, later in human evolution. I'm not using evolution biologically, but rather sociologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans begin to uh, cultivate agricultural abilities and really like sit down and stay in one place. But for most of human history, we've been moving around. Mm. That is the natural way of things is moving around, being nomadic, right? And it's weird because in a technocratic kind of society that we live in, in the modernized first world, you can sort of see this again. People are uh, more inclined to, oh, I want to go live here for a little bit and I want to go live here for a little bit. And, mm. and it's returning to that beautiful state, but in a totally different context. And so when I say citizen of the world, it really does mean that like, you know, being uh, home is where you make it. As you said, you, you're a nowhereian. The story is you, you, as a kid, you're quiet, but you're popular. You're an athletic kid growing up. You're great at sports. And then around the age of 12, I mean, tell me if I'm getting any of this wrong, you start making beats. And yeah. and do you remember when you were first intoxicated with the idea of putting drum beats and samples <laughs> together? My brother got a laptop, so he was going off to university, and uh, it came with GarageBand. And so I'm like, yo, let me play on your laptop and shit, right? So he was like messing around with GarageBand a little bit, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I did it, and I just sat down, and it felt natural. like. I just sat down in front of her for two hours and then I, I showed my brother and he's like, yo, what? Like, h- how did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. It just sort of happened. And from there, I, I, as he left, I had to figure it out myself. So I went on my computer and I uh, legally, in air quotes, <laughs> downloaded software and taught myself how to do it and just spent as much time between that and making uh, films. So you're this kid who, and where are you at this point? Which London, London Kingston, Ontario. Okay, you're you're wow. You're a kid, and you're an Iranian kid <laughs> in London, Ontario, in a white suburb, in a white suburb of London, Ontario, uh, on GarageBand, uh, on your computer, basically creating songs, creating tracks uh, based I mean, on that's beats. A, 
beats. an overstatement. They weren't songs or tracks. They were just well, well, sounds. Well, well, where does Safakash comes from? So then, uh, so I make music in London, Ontario for three, four years. Nothing too serious. Um, it starts getting picking up when I download the software called. By the FL way, in Studio. your official bio, it says he started professionally making music at twelve. <laughs> we gotta get so, that changed. So if this was an overstatement, you, you gotta talk my, to your publicist. Listen, listen, listen. Whoa. I sold my first CD to my dad when I was thirteen. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. That I think that might qualify. <laughs> um, so I make these beats for a couple years in London, Ontario. And then we moved to Richmond Hill, first day of school in grade nine. And from there, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I like this uh, name that I was going under before. It's not really important, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take my last name and just make it a little more English, Englishy yes. or yes. whatever. And so I changed it to Safakash, not really for any reason other than I was just like, just let me change it. And I was putting beats up on on SoundCloud at the time just for my friends, like not to do anything in particular, but you know, we can get into it, but it, it, it sort of took off from there. Yeah, I mean, you might've been uploading them for some friends, but they end up, Safakash ends up getting hundreds of thousands and then millions <laughs> yeah. of streams, right? Let me let me play a little bit of a, a, a tune called Deep Inside. This is one of your early ones, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're about 16 years old or at this point i must have been 17 17. this is uh after hill in his previous incarnation as safakash way back when he was 17 six years ago take a listen to this Great. It's great. I mean, I get, I get the appeal of it. So, so you're 17 years old. You make that. You upload that. Mm -hmm. You start and to make money from these streams, right? So I send these beats that I had, um, ones that weren't even uploaded, to a very famous YouTuber, Casey Neistat. And at the time, he just had his email in his like in his website. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna send it. I send it, and I send a video of me making the beat too. Cause I was making films and he's like, yo, I love it. He uses it and uses like three, four, maybe five other ones. And I'm like freaking out. Cause you know, I go to school one day and the previous day I had 50 plays a day. Now I have 10,000. <laughs> so I'm freaking out. My buddy's sitting in first period. We're both freaking out. And I go home. I talk to my dad. I'm like, dad, what do I do? He's like, yo, you should, uh, did he say, yo, <laughs> 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 is that where you got it from? The way your street language. So your dad says yo. Yeah. My, my dad goes. You should. Uh, Azizam. Az yo. Yeah. Yo Azizam. You should yeah. put your music and uh, yeah, he's like you should put it on uh, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Wow. And it was like it was like thirty bucks. He's like I'll pay for it. It's okay. Right. I'm like thanks, dad. That's pretty cool of you. So I I put it up on the streaming services just to get it to more people it was really just like a platform for more people to listen mm -hmm. um, a couple months passed by and a couple more uh, YouTube placements with Casey and I'm looking at the numbers on Spotify and it's like 
don't know, 80,000, 100,000 per song on this like album that I just threw up because <laughs> right, I, sh- I right. needed to, right. essentially. And um, it, it was just crazy because I didn't spend a single cent advertising. I didn't, I didn't have a manager. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But here I am now making a, like almost $1,000 a month at this point as a 17-year-old kid with no overhead costs, with nothing. Right, right. And um, right. It, it was, it was mind-blowing. Well, there's yeah. the $30 that your dad spent to yeah, that's true. get I, you on those platforms. I paid him back, don't worry. <laughs> and then, um, so it, how, how did that yeah. affect you? Is, it, is that where you started to think, wait a second, this, this can actually be a career? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, it's, it's insane because, you know, being 17, right, a lot of my friends started working at stores or whatever. And here I am messing around on my laptop making two or three times as much as they do for just like sleeping <laughs> and and i'm thinking to myself like this is crazy like this I, at I some was, point at some point you're making about five thousand bucks a month right yeah i think by the time i was 18 i was making five four to six thousand dollars a month just just from streams, streams of these songs alone. that didn't take you that long to write and throw no. up on the internet and each one would take me two three hours to make and um what i would do is um, my dad got me a vinyl player that connected to my computer. So I would go downtown and get two crates of $1 vinyls mm-hmm. and then just go through every single vinyl until I found samples that I liked and I would flip them and then I would just throw them up. The only problem with that being... <laughs> of course, there's some <laughs> legal It's not legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that caught up to you. It certainly did. And in the meantime, though, it was great because... Not only did I get the streams, but I had companies approaching me. Hey, we're doing a commercial for Mercedes Benz. Do you want to do the song? Or uh, Mountain Dew or these guys from Google were starting a show. Um, There was just all these opportunities around me. So on top of that money I'm making from streams, I'm making doing little contract jobs here and there and then taking the songs from the contracts and then putting them up on SoundCloud too. I feel like it's almost, um, would you say it's almost a blessing that that did happen though? Because... It, it it does kind of explode, implode. It, it explodes and then it implodes. Uh, in that um, the legal stuff catches up to you, and mm-hmm. um, you had said at one point that your your, your life kind of deteriorates. You, you there's a girl that you're into. You mm-hmm. end up blowing all this money on on this relationship, and you're deteriorating into a guy who's smoking weed and has anxiety. Um, is it almost a blessing that you went through that to for, as a training ground for where you're headed now? Um, yeah, I mean, it's quintessential to the story to get here sitting, you know, in front of you today, honestly, right? Like, it was a blessing because despite the fact that I was making money and being successful, uh, once everything imploded, I'm like, oh, I don't know anything. I don't have management. I don't have a company. I don't know how to clear things. I don't know. I literally don't know anything. And it were you freaked of, out when the, you found out that this was? I mean, did you know what you were doing was illegal? I knew once I started making a lot of money because uh-huh. then I started looking into it. Because <laughs> at, at start, my mentality was if nobody's listening right. to it, then it doesn't matter. Right. Which is also not true, by the way, for <laughs> young musicians. Clear all your samples if you can. But I didn't. I was like. 
I don't even have management. I don't know who to ask about sample clearance. Right. And I'm like, you know Did what? you ever get really scared that you're going to be yeah. hauled away into jail or something? It's or? not even jail. But what they do to you is basically they email you and say, hey, you didn't clear this sample. So uh, you're going to send us all your financial statements. Mm-hmm. And so I freaked out. I'm sending these financial statements and I'm like really freaked out. And um, then they look at it. And what is supposed to happen is that then they're going to say, okay, give us 80% of the song going forward. And things would have been fine. But I freaked out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to delete it. And then they're going to leave me alone. And they actually did. But the consequence of that was that now I didn't have my major source of income, which was that first album called Lean Back. Not to mention your your repertoire, which is something to be really proud of, is of gone for I, now. I yeah. still get people to this day who are like, hey, man, can you put that Lean Back album back on Spotify or whatever? To this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You move on from this period into being becoming what I'm uh, I would loosely say a more traditional hip-hop artist mm-hmm. and I know that you're passionate about hip-hop yes why so I've obviously always loved hip-hop and uh, have had a deep love for it but going to university uh, like every other university kid I was trying to take the easiest course possible <laughs> and one of my buddies says yo let's take this course it's literally about hip-hop your brother your buddy sp- speaks the same way your father does by the way absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the people around you <laughs> in my head yeah. you sound like that too <laughs> yo <laughs> can I do an impression of you yeah, on please, the phone yeah. right? <clears throat> hey buddy what's up <laughs> hey hey buddy how you doing that's nothing. Like, first of all, I'm insulted that you didn't have me saying yo first. Uh, second of all, I don't know what that impression was, but I uh, I appreciate the care you, you put into it. Yes. So you're so you're going to you're going to school. You're looking for the easiest, easiest way to get a degree. Mm-hmm. You're at York, right? That's correct, uh-huh. York University. And my buddy says, "Here's this hip hop course." We walk in, very first day. This man with dreadlocks is walking down the stairs, bumping reggae on a BlackBerry next to his ear. And I'm like, "This class is going to be the greatest class of my life." Sits there, goes, "Hi, my name is Ron Nelson. Do not call me professor." Oh wow. And I was like, huh? And then he told me that, or the class, that he had the first hip hop show yeah. in all of Canada. Oh, Ron Nelson, yeah, yeah, he's the guy. He's the he's one of the the pioneers of hip hop discourse mm-hmm. in Canada. Yeah, he's a true um, carrier of the culture, if you will. You so know? you learn from him. Yeah, he he taught this course about hip hop from the very start. And for those who, of you who don't know, it goes really deep. Um, hip hop. A lot of people don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you can do this in a in a, a synopsis, so, I mean, why should be like you know, friendly Iranian person who's <laughs> listening right now in Lethbridge, Alberta, care and respect uh, the the art form of hip hop? Mm-hmm. So I'll just give you like a quick rundown. If I might be a little mistaken, but um, in the late. 50s and 60s there's a man named Robert Friedman who is a city planner and he designs um, public housing in Brooklyn and in the Bronx and not only that he creates a above ground rail system uh, which is still there today which is very loud and very like disruptive so all the families who had money to leave that area leave that area and the only people who are left behind are the people of color that the American system doesn't give a fuck about to this day and meanwhile there's this DJ named DJ Cool Herc who comes in from Jamaica with all of his reggae albums and he throws these beautiful block parties for the people just to like 
have fun and release, honestly. He takes two turntables and has the same record twice, and then he learns how to loop it by just literally playing the record on one side and then switching it to the other side and playing it and then <laughs> quickly rewinding the first one and just doing that. And so he learns how to take the section of the song with no words where it's just the beat break, the and replayed a whole bunch of times. Meanwhile, there would be someone on the mic who would, you know, uh, what was it called? There's a word for it, but it's like emceeing. He would be like, party people, put your hands up. Party na -na. And that was based on a couple of things. That was based on like the ramblings of people like Muhammad Ali, who used to go into these beautiful Basically rhythmic. Basically would do, yeah, 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 yeah. Or James Monologues, Brown. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, that grows and that grows. And one of the major things that actually uh, led to hip hop's rise is a giant blackout in New York. And as there's a blackout, people Summer start, of Sam, it's 1977, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pe people kind of start um, taking matters into their own hands, so to speak, and mm. taking turntables, mm. lifting turntables for themselves, if you will. And that widespread distribution of, uh, I use the word distribution here very loosely, <laughs> oh, yes. of equipment yes. leads to the rise of hip hop and more and more people are going to these parties and that's sort of how it it's starts. literally music coming from the street from literally yeah. nothing from and the now street. And, but uh, and so that's a i mean thank you first of all it's amazing <laughs> that not just that you recounted that but that you care so much about it but that's the question why do you care so right. much? i mean that's a great story but that's why does the, the iranian background. kid from tehran who came okay. to richmond hill uh, via Escarborough, Kingston, <laughs> and London, uh, connect with that. Great. So these people were severely disenfranchised, okay? And coming from a country where there is severe disenfranchisement mm. of the working class, you need to, and by you, I mean those people, uh, kind of, have this strange parallel to hip-hop and it goes even further than that what year does hip-hop start 1979 what else happens in 1979 the mm -hmm. iranian revolution mm -hmm. so it, it really they have this weird parallel that i've not been able to get out of my head ever since i started putting the connections together that's really interesting and who fucked both of those people over the united states low-key the only thing you haven't said is that Iranians invented hip hop sometime, <laughs> so, so, somewhere in Mashhad in the '60s. But I, but I appreciate that you've left that off the table. Uh, it is, it is amazing that you are taking that disenfranchised, that story of oppression of the Iranian people, and uh, seeing the parallel in the rise of hip hop, and then using it in your own music. And and I have to say that to bring this back to your record, which comes out tomorrow, and again, congratulations. Thank it's you. your debut album. Yes. I think it's stellar. I think it's conceptual. I, I think, as I said in the beginning, it's very creative. But it, it's also quite political. Mm -hmm. I, I'm actually not sure how I feel about the politics of it in terms mm -hmm. of in terms of how in your face you've decided to be. Uh, I know that that was a really conscious decision for you. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. So you can recall, I, I called you back in the summertime of last year, that's 2020. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm thinking of making this political record. And where it stemmed was learning more and more about the um, revolution. 
you know, growing up, you always hear your parents say like, this, that, this, that, this, that. Yeah. And you're Before like, Before the revolution, okay, this and okay, that. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. But then the more you learn about it, the more interesting it gets. And truly, it's one of those things where the more you peel it back, the more you're like, whoa, this thing goes so much deeper it affects everything. 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 Yeah. The whole yeah. Middle yeah. East was turned yeah. inside out. Yeah. Every, every once in a while, uh, not every once in a while, regularly, actually, some people might write to us on, on Rook and say, do you guys have to talk so much about the revolution and stuff? And, and we realized that to go deep into any subject that has to do with Iranians and our culture and our background, you can't leave that you off the cannot. table. Because it infects and affects everything and the weird thing is the more you learn about the revolution the more you realize that the chain of events that started it truly start in the 1900s when there is a coup d'etat from the uh british who come in and replace the the is it the qajar king at the time i think i'm, I'm not there's like a lot a of historian there's a, there's, but regardless there's my, disagreement on where the chain of events yeah, began but go ahead yeah, my yeah. point is it, there's this whole slew of events of other countries getting involved in iran and the moment that in 1950s right the people uh elect a democratic uh representative mm -hmm. And, and it seems like, oh, you know, Iran's got this oil, the infrastructure's coming up, people are getting more educated. As soon as things look like they're about to turn, there's foreign intervention again. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Shah is, is, is instilled Returned as a to power, yeah. puppet, right? Mm -hmm. It's just crazy that America loves to shove their fist in any country that starts to control their own means of production and their own resources mm -hmm. and it's happened time and time and time certainly again. through the 20th century yeah. right and so i i don't even remember what the question is so i'm just uh, heated. The, 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 <laughs> the question was please give us a background on u.s imperialism no that wasn't the question <laughs> that's where you decided to go the question was um why you decided to make the conscious right. decision to to put out a, a record that so, is distinctly in some of the tracks political wonderful thank you so it goes back to what I said. There's two important events in my life that I was not alive for, and they both happened in 1979. My favorite art form was born, and my country was put on a trajectory that will forever change it. So uh -huh. I thought that it would be important to pay homage or homage, or however you pronounce that word, mm -hmm. to these events, because they shaped me as a human being beyond my but your reality ability. is i mean just for me to push back i don't mm -hmm. necessarily disagree with that i think it's actually beautiful that you uh, you have the passion that you want to speak out about iran and being iranian and do that from toronto uh and tehran so but you know to push back i mean if you wanted to be political you could rap about justin trudeau or donald trump or poverty in toronto mm -hmm. you're rapping about khamenei that's correct why because there is no westernized artist who has spoken about this, who is also Iranian and, and, and has grown up uh, adjacent to these events. And there's a lot of us, as you said, you know, there's about 100 to 200,000 Iranians in the GTA alone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you factor in New York, once you factor in London, once you factor in LA, how many Millions. kids so, is there literally yeah. like us who don't have a voice who don't even understand or maybe for for myself at least i didn't even uh consume uh media in farsi when i was growing up you know what i mean so there was nobody speaking about the things that 
uh, unbeknownst to me were affecting my life so drastically. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the moment, but you know, in hindsight. I want to give it, I want to play a little taste of a track uh, off this new album called Mullahs. Now, this is a powerful song. This is one that makes no bones about its politics. Where did this one specifically spawn from? I made this beat in 10 minutes and then I wrote the song in about 15 minutes. And what happened is I spent a lot of time researching the revolution and the past of uh, like the Iranian past. And the more I read, the more just angry I would get. Mm-hmm. And so I just needed to like release all of that anger in mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. burst of, of, of uh, vocal experimentation. <laughs> I, I mean, I do get it. I did my version of that. Uh, my independent thesis in the 1990s at York was on revolutionary Iran, wow. partly on that quest to understand. I mean, I wasn't there. That's I was too young thing. for it, all of that, but to understand what our background and is. And that's the thing, right? You need to understand. It's like once you start reading about this thing, you're just like, wait, but then what? And who did this? And and there's just always more and more and more and more and more questions because there isn't reliable data on what truly took place. But you want to take a position. Correct. Yeah, and your position is quite aggressive here. Well, I mean. It's extremely it's as, aggressive. Yeah, it's about as aggressive as you could possibly Hell get. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Let me Let me play a little bit of uh, Mullahs. This is After Hill, his brand new album coming out tomorrow. This is uh, a song on that record. Take a listen. To set the people free I'm a outsider to the insiders uh, Outlaw to the outsiders uh, I'm coming amongst some coming men I don't get any press, ain't no focus in enough Still I spit a dumb, like nasty I am enough They wanna use my image as a person resurrect But fuck, Rohani Khamenei in the system It's a violent pack of heads, beheading people like him But no real cock heads talking down like she a shit You fuck your people over, you dirty pieces of shit you guys should have played that third verse. Though. Oh, we're going to get to, I'll, 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 I'll keep okay. shy playing that right now because we'll come to the third verse because our friend, uh, uh, our, the hip hop star and yeah. Persian hip hop pioneer, Airfon is on this track and he's rapping for the first time in english is that right that this is his debut english verse i can only imagine that it's a was an honor for you to have uh, and i can also only imagine that you had to clear the politics of this with airphone like say, oh no man he was on board he, he was right the on song it. and he's like yo what did you do <laughs> he speaks just like your father he actually does speak <laughs> like that he's a la bro <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll do my air fun. Hey, hey, brother, Ario, yo, this is crazy, man. You do- <laughs> That's actually pretty good. That's a good air That fun. is good, right? Let's turn it back up here and come to his verse. I ain't a mother, I ain't a stop out of starving artists. Freedom to target, they let it talk about how we so awful. Western ass culture, the fucking devil is silky powder. People are starving, and all your money is going foreign. You morons, I see, your oil is dirty, your poor is proxy. Fuck, I'm a name, cursing my money, go ahead, hug it. Condemning cappers for murder for George Floyd. But six months prior, you shot your own boys up. Fifteen hundred people murdered because they're boys up. One love, leaders are scared of us when we join up. See, legend had it that atop the mountain sat an enlightened being. One who could help me with my quest A kind young lady helped me traverse the mountain top Climbing higher and higher Until I found her 
I come seeking the truth I gotta free the Persian people Tell me how did I do Yeah, uh Tell me how did I do This shit took time, homie Wasn't out of the blue Yeah, uh This is the life that chose me Now I sit back and watch Like a spot on the nosebleed Sit back and watch Watch me and my boys lead Overdose and poison The noise on these cold streets Just my immigrant story, bro Immigrant left long ago, I'm still living it. The feeling is so strong, as though I'm still living in Iran, and I'm stuck asking what this prison is. Caged in my thoughts like the Joker, funny, isn't it? I'm limitless. I won't let the little ship belittle this. 20 years and it's still repping it hard. There's a certain path to walk when you step in with gods. Now they label me the sun, and I'm left with the stars. Went to war with my heart, and I'm blessed with the scars. Fuck anyone who tries to block your shine. He killed it. He can't, he he. I can't even believe that's the first time. Yeah, he, it's so natural. He's so good that I just assumed that I've heard well, I mean, Airfon in English before. He, he told you, man. Like he's he's been listening to Tupac and Biggie and all yeah. those guys his whole life. So I love the guy. Yeah. Wow. So I, I mean, your decision. You know, back to that phone call, and you were kind of weighing how political you not that you, you want to be real to yourself is mm -hmm. what i tell take this track to be it's like this is you you you're being honest um but you know there's implications i mean mm -hmm. I, there's not there's no vacations in iran for you now for the next <laughs> few, few years i can imagine right well listen it's a decision you need to make do you want to i say this in, somewhere else in the album i say i would rather speak truth than make money and stick to it mm. what's important here what are we doing here? This is a conversation I had with my friend. There's really only two types of art. There's informative art, and then there's art that makes you, uh, not distractive, but you know, takes you out of where you are and mm. puts you somewhere else. Sometimes those two things can yeah, coincide. Yeah, both there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like right now, uh, especially with hip hop being such a monetized art, um, you're getting a whole bunch of distraction. You know, we're, we're getting a whole bunch of substanceless bullshit. And why is it people, people in music, especially hip hop, used to be the carriers of truth? You know, even going back to the five percenters in New York, you know, they their whole thing was truth. One of the core elements of hip hop, there's five elements. One of them is knowledge. And we're losing that. Why are we losing that? Because but but, um, but there are hip hop artists. Uh, I don't want to certainly throw him under the bus. But our, our you know fellow Torontonian Drake, mm -hmm. he's not always political. I can't even really put one political but he, Drake statement but you, to mind. You think he's a good, he's a decent hip hop artist, don't Yo, you? Okay, here's my question. So can this you? Is, this you, is important. You go, yeah, go ahead. You can be, you can make distractive or unimmersive art and be a good artist. Mm -hmm. There is no. Uh, I'm not making a value judgment. Oh, I see. Okay, but what I am saying is that it is still up to us as the people to carry the tradition of speaking truth. Mm. That is still important. Can you be an Iranian artist without being political? No. Interesting. Not not a Western artist. So Paravis Tanavali can't create a sculpture that doesn't have to be a commentary on the current <sighs> okay, government. Okay, we're talking of Iran. just, I guess, art in general. <laughs> that's no, I'm asking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you can, but again, it's an it's an event that sort of shaped you, whether you right. like it or not. It shaped you. It shaped me. It shaped anyone yeah. who was born there right, or, or adjacent. It just did. It's, it's, an, a, it's a question fact. we all struggle with, yeah. and and uh, uh, so. There is another part of this, though, where where I I see a duality in you. If you'll forgive me for saying this, I mean, if you if you don't no, it's true. if you don't agree with this, it's tell me because you're clearly a serious person. Some of the tracks on on this record are profound, political, as we've discussed. Then you have these videos out online that are. <laughs> 
it seemed to be about partying yep. and girls and, and the stereotypes of what we would think of as a hip hop star aspiring to. How do we, how do you navigate that after Hill duality? Okay. This album was meant to function as putting your medicine in the ice cream. That's how I see it. You want to give people the truth. If you just tell people something, they're like, shut up, quit preaching. But if you give them the ice cream and then you hide the truth in it, <laughs> then they're much more inclined to take it. Mm -hmm. And and maybe my, my thing is a lot of people are going to hear this record for the first time and be like, yo, that just sounded great. Like that production was intense. Right, the vocal right. performances were intense, were great. Doesn't matter what the lyrical yeah. messaging necessarily is. But then the it? fifth or sixth time, you might be like, oh, you know what? Let me search up the lyrics. Let mm -hmm. me see what he's talking about. And then you go, whoa, there's this whole other world in the lyrics that exist there's a whole story going on it's multifaceted there's there's all these profound statements i mean i'm not gonna right. say they're profound right I'm, mm. i said them but you know there's it goes deep there, it's it's an onion it's it's multi-layered and and the point was this duality you speak of was intentional i chose to so the video that's like yes. persian girls uh, yep. the one that's called persian girls is you you sort of frolicking and that that's intentional yeah well persian girls is a celebration it, it okay uh, it's not really you frolicking maybe I, I, you know, but you know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah I, I think here's here's the thing my goal here as a hip-hop artist is a couple things mm. i don't want to be a cheesy like Hey man, you should. The truth is this, and the right. But you also don't want to be <laughs> right. the guy who's like, you know, I'm getting money and bitches and business and then, right. So there's this point in the middle that's great. Uh. And furthermore, what I want to do is give these Persian kids some swag. We are cool as fuck, but we don't carry ourselves like we're cool as fuck. That's the issue. And so when I make a song called Persian Girls, it's because I want these Persian girls to realize y'all are absolutely beautiful, but you might not carry yourself the way uh, girls of uh, uh, white girls carry themselves and, mm -hmm. and they think they're the shit and they think they're this, that, and the other. It's like, I want to give them you the swag. Empower. Yeah, you I want to give these, these, these Persian kids mm -hmm. a reason to be like, I am so fucking cool because I'm Persian, because I'm this, mm -hmm. because I'm that. That's what is it? What does it mean to, uh, this is like, you answer this however you want. I ask this question and it always elicits kind of an interesting response. What does it mean to to, to be Iranian for you? Uh, it's a weird question because... I mean, your citizenship is Canadian, I assume. That's correct. Yeah. What, what, is it, what does it mean to be Iranian? Well, this question can be answered from so many different perspectives. And that's why it's weird because, you know, Iranian people are literally a blend of that whole like Indo-European and also like, like it's just a whole weird ethnic group that's been mixed in whatever. So like, I'm not going to answer this question ethnically. What does it mean to be Iranian is is a funny question. To Arya, to after him. To me, yeah. it, it, it's... Uh, I don't have to answer I, it. I yeah, I'm know. not expecting you to give that's me a like historical saying, thesis. That's like saying, what does it mean to be Jian? And it's like, I just am. You know, what, like, what, like you. Like, what, what is it like to be Jian? What is it like to be Jian? It, it's just, well, you I just would are. Say, no, I could come up with an answer to that. It's interesting. I wake up. Sometimes I like to run. I enjoy halva. I mean, <laughs> you know, now, what does it mean for you to be Iranian? Well, the halva is involved for sure. Um, <laughs> the pistachio halva or the ooh. almond halva? halva? No, pistachio, oh, okay. pistachio, yeah. pistachio. But but I'll take it how I can get it. I think it's 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 uh, carrying the culture on your back. That that's real. The short answer, because there's this beautiful 
uh, culture that is in fact so beautiful that in the past when we've had uh, empires come in and take our people over they would still continue our culture even though they weren't uh, of Farsi, Persian, whatever the word you want to use, descent. They came from other places and they took or they appropriated our culture because it was so cool. See, you came up with an answer to that. I, I tried my best. How no, about it? It was a passionate answer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you played the 2,500 years card, but that's <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's fair game. Fair game. <laughs> um, it has been a it's it's really uh. I, I always appreciate speaking to someone who is raw and clear and honest about where they're at. I I am uh, excited about the raw artistry of this album, and it's here in person in front of me with you speaking <laughs> to me. I want to go out on a song that is um, it's on this new album, but I think you released it uh, a few months ago, to, actually to a bit of acclaim in the last year. It's called Vibin'. Mm -hmm. well, what can you tell us about this okay, song? This song is very important, okay, because it comes to in the tail end of the album, and its function is that despite the fact that the cards are stacked heavily against you in this modern age, there is no reason not to find ways to have fun. And if that means being a little ignorant and just pushing things out of the way to have a good time, that is necessary sometimes to like cleanse yourself of the constant like anger and eruption that happens when you're, you know, connected to your phone. And that was something that I, I wanted to write in the song too. You know what I mean? Like I wrote uh, all these voices in my phone, broken symphonies because hmm. because the, they don't align all the voices that come out you are, are really like a broken symphony that's all playing different tunes and different things and it's like sometimes you just gotta be like shut up like hmm. stop you know what i mean and and you just keep vibing out you're just chilling you're just having a good time it's definitely got that vibe to it where do you want to take this i mean what's your what's your uh teenage boy fantasy about this <laughs> is it is it five nights at madison square garden do yeah you, i mean yeah straight up you you're you want to be a big star i want to uh, here's the thing you want to dominate the world you want, i mean you say on that track about winning a grammy and stuff yeah. that, that's you you want that yeah you don't have to be the modest guy who's you know just uh, critics love you want to you want well, big star well here's the thing I'm, I'm not a proponent of stacking your chips to the ceiling necessarily and mm. just monetizing as hard as you can okay but I am a proponent of making timeless art. That's something that's very deeply important to me. What I, what I aspire to be is, is very simple. You interview uh, Persian diaspora all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So if I ask you, name a Persian star, you know, you, you, you probably have a pretty easy time. I might even have an easy mm -hmm. time. But if you ask John or Barry or Chad or Chet to, ask, to name a Persian star, mm -hmm. it's going to take them some time. I would say, yo... Yo, oh, they would say yo, right? They yeah. would say yo. Um, and so you want to be on that list? I want to for Chad and Chet and Barry to just go after Hill. You know, uh, it, it is it's an album that'll make a mark. And I really will, and I really I really appreciate uh, uh, the, you coming in here the day before it's <laughs> it's uh, it's coming out, and and so we can be part of it. I. Uh, Again, appreciate your candor. I appreciate what you've done art artistically. I love that you got Airfon involved, and uh, <laughs> it's been really fun talking to you. It's only the beginning. I look forward to doing this with many more records. Hey, of course, man. Thank you for having me. It was Thank honest. you, sir. After Hill, a rapper, artist based in Canada. His debut album comes out tomorrow, January fifteenth. It's called Tehranto. 
after he'll join me here in the Rook studio today. I don't go out too much I learned my lesson I don't really fuck with love Been too distracted And I'm in this race with y'all Just counting my blessings Hill and his debut album comes out tomorrow, January 15th. Tehranto, such a pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, the team has reassembled to discuss Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon. Uh, I can tell you enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm really impressed. I'm, I, I was not expecting to really love this guy. Such an intelligent young man. And, you know, I grew up with uh, Western hip hop my whole life, but Persian rap never really, maybe because I didn't really understand it, but I think this guy's a game changer for me. You know, uh, English Persian rap, it's amazing. Yeah, he's Shia, it. you enjoyed that? I really enjoy that. I, I, I have a point. I mean, when you told him that this is a blessing for you, that you, you know, you earned money, yes. you lost it. Yeah. And it's really a blessing for yeah. him. It's really I think so too. I think, I think he learned some lessons early i mean he's yeah. not he's not a kid he's not that young he's 23 but he's but he's he's young enough yes. that uh he could lose his way and and it's great that he kind of had uh, a bump already in his life so that he can uh, try and figure things out now you know i mean uh, who knows it's a strange time in music and, and, in, and in marketing and when how things become hits and don't but i think this as i said at the end of that interview and i said at the beginning of the interview i, I really think this guy is going to uh, make big strides around the world. He is, he is talented. He's interesting. The music he makes is is compelling. I think, and uh, and he's doing something that nobody's done before. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a Persian guy talking about, but he's doing it in English. And, uh, and I mean, even Persian rap is new enough, you know, yes. in general. But that, but it's been in Farsi. So to see after doing this is uh, it's really fun. Yeah, it's something like rock, you know. We need some content mm. in English to, you know. He is the rook of rap. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, he's pretty rook, too. Yeah. Uh, let's face it. Captain Reza, you want to chime he, in? Yeah, I love that he knows the history of rap. I, I, he's, he's done his homework, mm. and he re, he's really committed to his craft. I admire people like that because yeah. I'm like, I, I'm a filmmaker, and I, I, I dig that, that kind of thing, like learning about the history of film, what was the first film that ever made stuff like that so when i see him i'm not I'm, I'm not into music necessarily but when i see somebody so dedicated and devoted to his craft 
Mm. It, it really, it really puts a smile on my face. And really rapping about things that matter in this world. Like, you know, he's trying to help his own people. His, his analogy with the ice cream, like, you, you know, you brought up the fact that he still has, you know, he has the essence of rap music, like the girls and stuff. Yeah. And he said, basically, you have to give the people what they want and expect through rap, but just kind of <laughs> sandwich the meaningful stuff in there. That part's open to, to debate, whether he needs to go that far in that, in that uh, direction. But I understand what he's saying. Yeah. And, and he's still figuring himself out, too. As he should be, you know, as we all are. Mm. All right, lots to get to on this show still. Salman Tahirpur and Kiani Concept coming up in a little bit. But let's get to our next segment, a special one indeed. Here we go. He is the captain of cuisine, the culinary colonel, the Tabrizi talisman, the Farsi foodmeister, the Turkish tradesman. It's your chef, Hossare, and this is Rook Hospitality. <laughs> This is your chef Hassare. And this is Rok Hass. All right, hello Chef Hass. Hello everybody, happy new year. How is beautiful San Francisco? It's wonderful. A little crispy, uh, sunny and nice weather. All right. Well, the whole gang is here. We're excited for a, a new edition of Hospitality, our second edition, actually. Uh, what are you going to teach us about today on Hospitality? Well, today I'm excited. Today it's going to be uh, how to eat the halwa and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> I love it. How to eat halwa and not feel guilty about it. And why, why, why did you think of this at this moment? Well, because we just uh, went through the holiday season and uh, celebration and people, they have a tendency to eat a lot and especially when it comes to sweet and we human, we like sweet. So we got to talk about halwa is one of our favorite desserts. So we're going to talk about it. You know, uh, uh, first of all, I love you for talking about halva because I'm a halva fanatic. It's close to, <laughs> it's, it's, it's up there with Bowie and Arsenal uh, for me, halva. Uh, but I, you know, I get a little nervous when people talk about it as a dessert because I have, I learned this from my dad and I, maybe I shouldn't out myself, but sometimes I've put halva on toast for breakfast mm. in the morning. Is that, uh, is that a violation of the halva rules? No, not really, because I grew up eating the halva for breakfast. So absolutely. It's part of the breakfast. You see, oh, okay. Like a waffle, we eat it with a simple syrup in the morning. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. All right, so I'm, I'm keen to learn why halva is, can, can actually, we can eat halva and, and not feel guilty. But tell us a bit about what halva is, first of all, for those who, uh, well, for all of us, I guess, to learn the, the roots of it. Exactly. Well, halva basically refers to various local convection recipes. Basically, it's made of the 50% sugar and rest of it is going to be a, could be flour, could be semolina, could be um, uh, tahini from sesame, and could be from sunflower seeds or the squash seeds. So it's a combination of the, uh, the carb and the sugar mixed together and make something delicious. Uh, but not healthy, hundred percent. Is there? <laughs> is it? Well, if it's fifty percent sugar, I guess that we've got a long way to go on how you're going to make this healthy for us. But uh, is there an authentic kind of halva? Like, is there a kind of halva that you go, that's halva, as opposed to something that you might find in a local supermarket or something? Well, that's we're going to talk. Pretty much any halva you buy from store, you have to be, be careful about processed food. And that I am, that's one of my, at the end of the show, I'm going to give you my five, six tips how you can make a halwa at home healthier than you buy it from the store. Because stores, food, uh, halwa is like processed food, and they are high on the sugar, and the sugar they use is basically white sugar, 
and it's not good for you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, are you guys all Halva fans as well? Or Actually, yes, but I, I have a question. I mean, because you, Jian, you once told me that uh, you like Halva. Yes. For, for me, I mean, when somebody says Halva, it's kind of dark brown, yeah. uh, uh, less solid, kind of liquid, solid thing. Uh, that that's we not Halva to me. Yeah. That, yes, that's interesting. To me, it's the light. Light brown, kind of yeah. with pistachios in it we or something. We call it halva arde. That's interesting. But the actually. thing is, there, yeah, there are different halvas, like maskati halva, maskati lari. If, if only we had a chef to tell us what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what are we talking about right now? I love how we're like. Let's yeah. talk about. Okay, so chef, so so how do you react to what Shia just said and that the kind but of halva? Like That's one of the halvas. You know, it's basically halva. If you go seventh century, halva was made with just date and milk. There. Mm. And that was the first in the seventh century. Then eventually on the thirteenth century, the word come from the Arabic word, but it's been expanded and popularized by Ottoman Turks. And then the variety came from Central Asia, Middle East, and then Turi Romania became uh, the Latin word, and then it became expanded. So, and a variety of halwas can be made, like we talk, it can be flour, it can be semolina, it can be tahini, which is in Iran we call arde. And it was on the 13th century later in Iran, they made the, the one Shia talking uh, um, um, it's, uh, with the flower and uh, they yes. added gold, rose water and uh, uh, saffron and that became very popular. That's what Shia, one of the kind, one of the many kinds of the halvas. Okay, so we are uh, standing at attention here. We're actually sitting, but we're sitting at attention waiting to hear how we can eat halva or have halva and not feel guilty, especially after our <laughs> Christmas or our holiday indulgence and the quarantine. So uh, go ahead. How, how do we do okay. this? Okay, why makes halwa not, like any dessert, it's not healthy, it's a sugar. I mean, if you look at the sugar, basic table sugar, you're talking about the white sugar, you have a 50-50 equal of glucose to fructose. And glucose is one of the main combined body that cause you diabetic. And the, another 50% fructose is good for you, but it's high on calorie and uh, carbohydrates. The second one, fructose, you can exercise, get rid of it. But the first one is we have to be careful zero nutritious value in the sugar okay. there's no nutritious value nothing zero it's sugar is bad yes yeah that's we know that okay so the whole idea we want to look for it is how we can find something has a more fructose than glucose in combined unfortunately most sugars are on that but then we're going to talk about the agave syrup which is the i am going to recommend at the end agave? so we're going to talk about Ag agave, syrup. Agave, syrup. Agave, syrup. Got agave syrup agave syrup or the molasses so we're going to talk uh -huh. about the why it like you think about honey is healthy but honey has a almost equal combined of sugar on the sugar glucose fructose Damn it. it's even a natural but it's a shame uh, problem for your body mm. so again we can exercise, get rid of the carb, but we cannot get rid of that. Like for example, glucose causes the blood clot. Mm. That's the biggest uh, problem with the sugar. I like always sugar. thought honey was healthy. It was yeah, a healthier too. option. Why, now you're, so now we I. can't eat honey? What are you doing well, to us? Honey, yeah. <laughs> honey has more water yeah, in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so far we've learned what we can't eat. <laughs> what, how, so how do you make the, or how can we have the halva and, and have it be healthier? Okay, the halva, we make it at home, and that's one. Another one that you want us to do is use the sweet factor. You can use it as a nat natural, like a fruit, like a grapes, or the at-home, the dates. You can just mix it with the water and incorporate mm. it with your halva. 
a lot of nuts in it. Use in some regular bleach flour. Use semolina. Semolina is good for you. Okay. And um, and also, if you know, in Iran, we add saffron, cinnamon, gingers. These are healthy spices infused to halwa, make a more healthier factor. Since there is no uh, benefits in the sugar, and there are lots of carb in the uh, the flour, so they added like a saffron, cinnamon, ginger, some spices to give like my favorite one is the cinnamon and ginger uh, halwa in Tabriz they make. It was my childhood favorites. Mm. Uh, my mom used to make it. So introduce that one. Again, another one, part of the, the eating the halwa is exercise a lot, have a lot of water, but again, use a natural product when you're doing a halwa, like if you can puree the carrots or beets infuse your halwa. Carrots? So rather than carrots, carrots has a sugar level and like sweetness, and you can, I have a carrot halwa too, oh, or the beet halwa. You've, so lo- again, you've, you've lost all of us. Yeah. <laughs> carrot uh, halwa, no. what's going on? <laughs> yeah, halwa. I mean, the, the, the carrots halwa. So for, for, first of all, I, I've never made halva, but is it, it is it hard to make halva at home? Uh, not really. It's uh, very easy. Uh, it's a little uh, time, like any food, uh, love to it. You have to, you know, patient. And um, uh, you, like a, you can use a, like a, a sesame paste, tahini paste, uh, mm. uh, you, or flour is the one toughest one. Uh, but I'm going to give you a trick on the uh, air for you. When they do the flour, they have to toast it to get that rawness of the flour in the pan, and you can make them very messy in the kitchen when you toast on the pan. These days, you can use the uh, in the oven and give the first five ten minutes in a slow temperature, a little caramelized on the flour in the oven rather than doing the pan, and then bring it back to the pan, saute pan. You start adding your uh, the butter to it and make a halwa. So right. that's one technique I recommend. Do not make too much mess in your kitchen. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do is, uh, can you write this out? Or you've got this recipe for halva somewhere? Well, I have a couple of recipes that I'm after the show. I'm going to post it. Like last time I posted Kalajush. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm going to put some halva and recipes. We will already. also put that on our Instagram, at Rook Media. Uh, so For people to see uh, Chef Hoss's uh, suggestions for how to make uh, halva. Listen, if for for those of us who don't have the time or inclination to want to uh, make halva right now, is there somewhere we can get healthier halva? Or is, since you're telling us not to go and get the kind we get at the supermarket? Well, in, I mean, in, in, it's not just halva. Any dessert has a sugar. So, but again, you have to. Okay, limitation is a factor on everything. Like if I, I was almost stage of being diabetic uh, six months ago. But I, by exercise, by following my, like, for example, my doctor told me, today you have an orange, which is one orange enough for your 24 hours of your body's sugar level. Don't have another pear or apple. Have the day after. So okay. pace yourself. Same as dessert, halva. I'm writing like, this down. No honey, no oranges, <laughs> no pears. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't say no. Oh, okay. once, <laughs> once a day. Like today, if I have an orange, I don't want to follow up with the apple. I will have the apple tomorrow. Because one oh. orange enough sugar, you four bucks. So it sounds like you don't have halva on your toast anymore in the morning. And I do, but after that, I go for a jog of for three miles. Oh, wow! That's <sighs> a lot of work for <laughs> halva. It's not worth it. It may be worth it for halva. It may be worth I it for guess. halva. Can I add something to Please, halva? Please, yes. Halva has a very deep root in. Uh, uh, Persian classic literature, mm. like here, when when somebody want to say 
you know, your lips taste like chocolate in Persian classical literature they usually say your lips taste like halva is that <laughs> what you tell your girlfriend I'm <laughs> 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 gonna try that yeah did you know that uh, chef Hoss? yes Oh. That's a good one. And there are lots of expression. The story I heard from my dad's great aunt, you remember old days, we didn't have TV, we used to get stories. It's about why halwa in the ma- made in Iran after the people, they die, they give oh, you yeah. halwa. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they think that the, uh, the flower comes from the earth. So basically, this shows when the press are cooking the white flower from the white days, good nice days, to brownish them in your agent. Then they add saffron, make a reddish color because that's the glory days eventually become black that means you die wow. and you're going to back to the die and they give you sweetness like okay you had a sweet life this person had a sweet life cherish his life and have a little halo after that that's beautiful wow. there are lots that. of expression and one is not as good as shaya told me told us but the good this is like a basically turkish people after eat the uh, fish they eat halwa. Basically, they want to tell the fish that you are dead. Basically, after <laughs> somebody dies, they eat halwa. So basically, <laughs> this is very funny. Uh, after the fish be, in Iran, we are always when you have a fish, you have to have something sweet. What, what, what's body. the what's the actual saying in Farsi? What do you say? Halwa ro bad as mahi be khush be fahmche morde. It's Great. very funny, but it makes sense. So anyway, uh, Chef Haas, you've done it again. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Uh, thank you for teaching us. We've learned about last week it was cash, or a couple of weeks ago today it's halva. Uh, we always look forward to every episode of Hospitality. Follow Chef Haas on Instagram. We'll link to him from ours, Rook Media. Thank you, brother. It's always a pleasure being your company. All of you. Bye-bye. 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 Well, our next feature guest is contributing some really interesting art, design, and historical vibrance to the diaspora with his brand. He was born in Tehran on January 16th, 1979. That is the exact day that Mohammad Reza Shah and Shah Bonu Farah left Iran for good. And that has also been strangely germane to Salman Tahirpur's life journey. From an early age, Salman felt passionate about ancient Persian history and cultural fashion. Salman realized that some objects are so important that they must be preserved, especially when it comes to national heritage and cultural pride. So to honor his love of Iran and its golden age, Salman founded Kiani Concept in 2014. This is where he creates high-quality jewelry and accessories, all inspired by symbols of our ancient history, our rich and colorful heritage and of the late Shah as well as the Shah Manu. Right now, Salman Tahirpur joins me from Gutenberg, Sweden. Hello, sir. Hello. I want to start by thank you for inviting me to the interview and it's an honor for me to be able to share my story with your listeners. Thank you for that. And and I should say uh, uh, the honor is ours because from what I understand, I don't know if I have this right, but this is the first, I know you've conducted many, many interviews over the years. I've watched them, but uh, this is the first interview you've ever done in English. Yes, it is. And uh, it's going to be excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> English, you know, I speak Farsi, Swedish, uh, Norwegian, and a little bit Spanish. And uh 
this this is going to be like I said. This is going to be excited because, uh, like I said, is uh, is my. I am not so good at English, but I will try my best. Your English is fantastic, and I'm. <laughs> uh, you should have done a lot more interviews in English, but we're we're thrilled to be the first. Uh, listen, someone, you, you the, the story goes, you loved fashion as a kid, but didn't know growing up in Iran as a little kid that this could actually be a career. Tell me about loving fashion, but not seeing it as some sort of career opportunity when you were a little boy. Uh, the thing is, is still not the career for me. I'm a, uh, I'm working at the healthcare for a project IT manager in different hospitals in Sweden. And this is something that I'm educated to and have worked with it for past 20 years. Everything starts with a hobby and the interest I have for fashion and uh, jewelry and special art history. So uh, it starts as a hobby, but today uh, is a almost uh, a, a medium-sized company and we sell to the all of the world. Uh, Beside Iran because of the sanctions and the problem we have, but uh, this is like a, a, a little baby for me that I growing every day to be better and better and better. Well, let me put it this way: Could you have imagined when you were a little boy, or when you became a software engineer in healthcare in Sweden before 2014, that you would become known around the world as a high-end designer? Uh, with with a company that has fans spanning the globe. No, I never thought of what thought of that. Uh, it could be. It's like it was a dream. It was always at a dream, but uh, it was far away from all my things that I want to do in my life. But suddenly, I think about it that you coming to the point that the many things that you are always have the uh, the interest for. You're gonna make it to happen. That's 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 that was my dream, and uh, Kiani concept started for six years, six seven years ago. And like I said, it was a hobby. But suddenly, when I I get uh, very good comments from my friends, family, and so on, and uh, I start to have more time for it and make more researchers and so on, and. Uh, yeah, the, the dream came true. Where did what? What was the precipitant, Salman? When you were, um, where did the? I mean, you say it was a hobby, uh, design and fashion, but where did this idea of luxury products or um, accessories and jewelry that have a piece of Iranian history attached to them? Where did that come from? I can go back and tell you the whole story. It was like when I was six, seven years old. I play in my grandmother's big yard. And the yard had an old uh, basement with lots of old wine and old torshi, you mean, the old, like the things they have in the basement. And I went in there and I saw a box. And inside the box, I found lots of newspaper from uh, Pahlavi era that my mother had saved. Uh, I was completely fashioned by all the picture of royalty, especially our queen, Shahbanu Farah Pahlavi. Yes. A new world of color and glitter opened for me. You know, the, in the time when everything was gray, it was the war between Iran and Iraq. And I think that was the point of the spark of my interest for fashion and design. And uh, after that, we moved to Sweden uh, in 1990. And I was 
always collecting antiques like stamps, banknotes, medals, and many other things. And every time when I would receive any gift from Iran, I didn't I didn't like it because all the bad work they had done with uh, they don't have any sense for details. Hmm. Uh, until I get some military uniform, gold plated buttons with lion sun on it. And they look so good and had really nice details. Hmm. Uh, I realized that this could not have been done in Iran. It's too good to be true. I look at the back and I saw the brand of it. It was the brand Sporong. And under that, it said made in Sweden. I was really shocked, you know. Uh, after so many years, I live in Sweden and they were made here in Sweden. So. I started researching about this forong and I realized that this company is over 100 years old and they are best in the world of making buttons, uh, medals and many Olympics medals and so on. And uh, I tried to contact them and get more info about the things they did make for Iran and uh, you know it's have been more than 40 years ago and was not an easy job to find someone that has any information. And uh, finally, I was able to find a person who was uh, retired, and his job in the 70s was to get the order from Iran. And uh, I had a coffee with him, and he told me many, many stories. And he said, then he received orders from Imperial Iranian Army. We were so happy uh, because they never asked for price. And the most important thing was the quality and the details. So we did the uh, uniforms, medals, and uh, many uh, accessory things for for the army, uh, for Iran. So uh, after that, I think like I always had this plan to uh, create a brand to do the design very good in details and make them uh, so we can be proud of it. So, uh, like I say, it starts as a hobby, and uh, I choose the word uh, Kiani, which means royalty and concept to, to be able to yes. expand the product, not just the jewelry. Let me pick up on a few things you've said there. First of all, I was, I was going to ask you, you sort of answered the question, but I was going to ask you, I mean, you weren't even alive when the Pahlavi dynasty was still in power in Iran. Um, yes. and, and so I was curious where your clear and profound devotion comes from. So it comes from the boxes in your grandmother's basement. Um, yes. And, and which would have been, uh, I mean, you, you know, this is now in the 80s in, in, in sort of the harshest time of the, uh, the current regime or the Islamic regime. Uh, you find these things and you, uh, it sounds like you had the reaction to um, the former Shah and Shah Banu, the way a kid does to a sports star or a rock star um what was it that so inspired you seeing these pictures you know the inspiring thing was like when you grow up in the uh, 80s uh, everything was darkening around you know even the the books you have in school everything was so the depressing and uh, you didn't see any colors you didn't see any nice uh, clean pictures of people and suddenly when you open the magazine and see so much colors, you see people with uh, nice clothes and so on. And, and, it, and it was, for me, for a kid like six, seven years old, is like a, 
dream come true. It's like a, you see, it's like I was uh, able to see colors. Before that, I was blind. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the thing uh, that was the spark. Like, okay, this is not the Iran I have grown up with. Iran has another history that is more than more than this I uh, see today at the school, at the society, and so on. The, the other part that's that's curious or interesting about this is, and it intersects with what the whole focus of this program is, is that you leave Iran at 10. Uh, you, know, you know, you've you're four, you've been living for four decades. So, you know, uh, three quarters of your life has been outside of Iran and has been in Sweden. And yet you launch this company, uh, not with the iconography of the king of Sweden, but um, but w- with Iran, I guess, you know, you can take the boy out of Iran, but you can't take the Iran out of the boy. Oh, absolutely. It's like that. I don't have any relationship with the king of yeah, Sweden, but the king of Iran, the Pahlavi era, you know, I love history. I, I read books and, you know, there is so many things that we uh, see today, documentary and so many things that even our parents didn't know that. Uh, many lies about the family, Pahlavi family, many things that they told us that today we finally know the real truth. The last book of the Shah was Answer to the History. And, the, the you know, the history is telling us everything. If you don't know your history, you can't, you can't go to the future. You don't need to be fast in the history because you're never going forward. That's uh-huh. another thing. But before you're going forward, you must, you know, you know, your history. If you have pain in your stomach and when you go to the uh, doctor, the first question that doctor will ask is, what have you eaten? You know, what have you eaten? Is your history. If you yes. don't know what you have yes, eaten, yes. so the, the doctor can't do anything about it. That's right. So you must know that, you know, that's, that's the thing that this is the history. And the answer is usually too much gamer, but uh, <laughs> or too but, much but, but but you know on this question of his, history, let me let me just gently push back because uh, you talk about wanting to celebrate the design and imagery of Iranian history. But I was going through all of your your materials, and actually, one of our team members is a is a real fan of your mm-hmm. your products. But uh, we mostly find crowns, Pahlavi passport cases, scarves, and jewelry with the images of the Shah and Shahbanu in your works. I mean, I mean, I suppose some might say it's not a diverse or comprehensive look at our Iranian history. It's sort of Pahlavi era. How do you respond to that? Let me say like this. You know, if you look at Iranian history, it has always been black and white after the invasion of Islam. Until the Reza Shah, the great come to the power. You know, during the 51 years of Pahlavi dynasty rule, everything gets more color. Our country is advancing day by day. We learn much about our history and value more our art in all parts of our country. Every details, every design, every story behind it is good made. And uh, I always try to follow these rules as well. Mm. You know, every 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 famous building in Iran, even even Takhta Jamshid, Persepolis, it was under the ground before. Reza Shah. Reza Shah took it out from him. Uh, you know, I can name it. Saadi, Hafez, Khayyam. All of this was building under the Pahlavi era. But so, you, I, you know some people will see that as political, what you're saying. Is your work meant to be political? If I, I would like to if I say no, because I'm a political person. Because 
I I will always say like uh, if you you know many people like uh, they when I designed the crown and uh, they connected directly to the Pahlavi crown but if you know your history you know that even the crown that Pahlavi has this is not nothing to do with the Pahlavi is a copy of the Sasanian period in mm-hmm. Iran when the Reza Shah, Reza Shah come to uh, power in Iran and he said the Gajar dynasty has uh, ruined Iran in every way they have sold the pa- uh, part of uh, even uh, part of the Iran to the Russian to the, the uh, Englishman and so on so uh, now we must concentrate on everything that we have in history and bring back our history, bring back the golden age of Iran. You know, I used to say that if you erase 51 years of Pahlavi era from our history, so the Islamist Republic is the modern version of Gajar era. And we know today that Gajar era did destroy a country and Islamic Republic doing it today as well. So that's why I concentrate more about this era of Iran and uh, I try to do my, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be like uh, other designers that do everything, you know, they do Tachamshi, they do, uh, uh, you know, the, the font, Persian right, font with right. Eshka, all that. Right. And they do everything that uh, the, the people wants or the majority wants. This is not me. You know, I need, and my design is like, if you see it from 100 meters, you know that this is the Kiani concept. You know, uh, this is my signature. I won't, uh, it's, it's neither the place nor the point of this to, to, to get into a historical debate. I, I, it's partly fair to say that your your work is, is, is about quite beautiful luxury items and concepts and a part celebration and homage to the former Shah and Shaponu. Would that be fair? Yes. Yes. And, and you, you've done works with the former Queen Faradiba. Uh, tell me about your recent Empress of Art exhibition. What was the idea behind that? Uh, the thing is, uh, Empress uh, Farah Pahlavi gave uh, Iran not only her lifetime, but the bring also a wave of beautiful and unique fashion sense in the country. From her Yves Saint Laurent wedding dresses to her Chanel and Dior dresses, Her Majesty bring modernity to Iran. But also did take care of the traditional Iranian culture. Shahbanu did much, so much for the culture of uh, culture and art for our beloved country, you know. From Art Museum, one of the world's greatest art collections, to Shiraz Art Festival with the world, all the greatest artists in the world was involved in the, the, that festival. So for me, she's more than a queen. She's a art icon. And uh, the thing is, she always has supported me. I, uh, every time I design something that has involved with her, I send it to her and I talk with her and uh, she tell me things that maybe I never thought about before. And uh, she she's like a second mother for me. You know, wow. I love her. From all of my heart. Uh, back, back to back to the little boy growing up and and looking at those uh, pictures in your grandma's uh, basement. I guess it, somewhere in you there must be a lot of excitement to know that she's like a second mother. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, there is people that doesn't like Pahlaviera or they didn't doesn't like the show, but you can't find 
many people that doesn't like Shaqonu. Mm-hmm. You know, her, she's uh, she's an icon, like I said. Yes. Yes, like, yeah. You know, I, I want to ask you about one of your uh, um, other pieces, prominent pieces. You you sell a very ostentatious version of the former Iran flag. You've talked about how Americans put the U.S. flag on so much of their fashion and design. Uh, tell mm-hmm. me about the importance of Shira Khorshid and why you put it in your designs. First of all, it's not our former flag. It's our royal flag. And uh, the history of the Lion Sun is more than 5,000 years old. There is many people that love the Iranian flag, the lion and sun, but they doesn't care that the look and the design about the lion. Some of the lion you have seen is like uh, very ugly, and some <laughs> yeah, very. Uh, it's it's a lion. It should it should have the uh, the, the charisma, the proud. You understand? It's like you should uh, have the good design on it and so on. And that was always. Uh, uh, bothered me so much. So I designed this flag with the silk and the uh, gold traded uh, uh, lines inside it. And uh, the flag is like, for me, is it, is everything, it's one of the very important things mm-hmm. about our history, mm-hmm. about everything, about our land or our presentation. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, American flag. You see it in every single thing. You can see it on shirts. You can see it on panties. You can see it on everything. Brand it's, logos. Brand logos. They use the flag. It's like yeah. brand. So why should could we not have it for our flag? Uh, you know, it's it's my it's my dream to uh, have it on many things. You know, uh, I have an idea to design. Uh, you know. Some, small teddy bears like uh, with the, the uh, line and sun on it or for a kid uh, when they grow up they express themselves with the with the flag right. but, but you, you know you, you've said that this is the real flag I mean I find the flag I have to say I find the flag issue very confusing <laughs> like how to do this because for, for example at World Cup time we want to celebrate by waving an Iranian flag, but we don't. We don't mean it to be an endorsement of the current regime in Iran, and and yet, say when you're you want to use an icon on your Instagram profile to, to show where you're from, you don't have the option of anything but using the current flag of Iran. I understand so, that. I understand. What is your ta- what is your take on that? How do we navigate that? I, I don't I don't use it because this is not the Iranian flag. This is the Islamic Republic flag. We have the people that speak Arabic as well, but the national language Iranian is Farsi. But in the our flag, it's in Arabic, and this flag is representing all the war, all the terrorists, all the bad happening things in Iran. You know, the other 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 side when you have the lion and sun, is represent the, the our great history, our great people, uh, is not just the Pahlavi era, or over five thousand years history. That's the thing. You know, listening to you right now, I'm thinking you're, you're quite outspoken on this. Obviously, your jewelry and products, I'm assuming, can't be sold in Iran. Have you yeah. have you heard from the government? Do they do they see you as some kind of a, from the regime? I mean, do they see you as a threat? Do they try and shut you down? They have they have trusted me several times. They send me emails and sometimes that uh, they and threaten me, but I never take them as serious. But one time, they hacked my website. So I did have problem to bring back my website. It took me a lot, like two or three weeks before I could take it back. So they 
hack it and uh, the, the company that have my platform they told me that they have been hacked from a server from Iran you're not afraid I think like there is people inside the Iran mm. that do 10 times 100 times more than what I do and they are not afraid they do all this demonstration they do all these uh, things against the regime and I sitting here in Sweden should I be afraid for something that they easily they just send me some emails and they said okay I'm afraid I'm not gonna do it anymore mm. so no none I'm curious about your audience for, uh, for for your products and for your accessories and for your jewelry but but mostly I'm curious do you hear from people in Iran uh, who would want to be able to somehow get this the, your your your, your Kiani concept uh, accessories I get more than maybe 50, between 50 to 100 every day message from Iran that they want to buy the same. Wow. You know, it's like I have tried to send several times to Iran, but it's never getting to the customer. I don't know. Maybe because everything you send to Iran, the shipping company, they they open it before they right, deliver right, it. Right, right, right. Uh, so, I don't know, they threw it away. They take it for yourself, I think. And uh, so my vision and I, my uh, dream is one day that I open my gallery in the heart of Tehran. This, ah. is, this, is, this is my vision. When I had my first meeting with uh, Shah Panu, uh, she told me that, uh, is it going to be real jewelry, like real gold or real silver or real stones and so on? I told her, no, for me, it's like, I want to have uh, this one, like, uh, mostly plated or maybe uh, Swarovski crystals instead for real crystal, because I want to have the, the prices for uh, uh, regular people to use it. Right, you know, right. that's 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 the thing, you know. If well, you, I have, you have a range, right? Because you have some really high-end stuff and then you have really accessible stuff. Mm, uh, you know, my... I think the most expensive things I have is $180 is like the most expensive things I have in the, in the, my website. So uh, if I'm, there is many people that want it in gold and so on. If, you know, I have that, that uh, crown pin that is really popular yes. for $30. And uh, if I'm going to make it with gold, it's going to cost the $1,000, you know? Well, I was going to, uh, um, first of all, I'm so grateful to get to the, uh, the the time you've given us. And by the way, your English, I think you've proven is excellent. And you can do uh, a thousand English interviews after this now because it's it's it's, it's, it's flawless. But um, uh, I was going to say, as a final question, to ask you where you would like to take Kiani Concept. But you may be a victim of your own success. I mean, if this keeps growing, I'm not sure how you do a, a nine to five job and keep <laughs> and have this company. Uh, and its popularity continuing to grow. Do you have a plan to um, uh, make this your full-time job, or because, uh, have a have a have a uh, start a company with a bigger staff, or how are you going to do it? Right now, I concentrate to make uh, new designs and uh, uh, try to uh, think how I can do the marketing and uh, plan for exhibitions and so on. Uh, so today, we are for a person that. Uh, work with this uh, Kiani concept now and uh, I had this vision to open my first gallery in Toronto uh, then uh, the whole thing with the COVID and so on so the maybe the first one is going to be in Toronto and because I, I did have 
the, the, the exhibition, both in Los Angeles and London with many Iranians. But in Toronto, it was different. Like, uh, Iranian in Toronto was more, uh, more, uh, more Iranian, you know? It was more, they want to keep the culture more than Los Angeles and London. Because in London, you know, in Los Angeles, you see people that have lived there for 40 years. Exactly. It's a newer, it's a newer community here. Yeah. And, and a very, very rapidly growing one, a very big one too, as you know. Absolutely. But in Toronto, you know, it was like, uh, when I saw so many Iranian that keep the culture, keep the art traditional, keep the our, our, our uh, great events and so on. And I was thinking, like, uh, Toronto maybe is, is going to be the first place that uh, I will uh, open my store. Uh, not in Iranian squares, but <laughs> somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> For those who don't know Toronto who are listening around the world, uh, your, your references are excellent. You, you, you clearly have spent some time here. Uh, you're not, so not next to Super Khorak, but maybe no, close no, to Cafe BB. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the, thing, the thing is many, many, many stores around the world, Iranian stores, they contact me and they want to sell my products in their stores. And I asked them, like, uh, okay, what kind of stores you have? They said we have, uh, you know, the stores like Super Horak and so on, and we sell everything, and uh, we have many Iranian uh, customers, and they will buy all the things and so on. And I asked him, are you going to put my crown, cufflinks, gold-plated with the turquoise stone uh, beside to Lavashak or Yekoyek, you know? Yeah, the thing is, <laughs> and they just uh, then they and they just ask me, "What's your problem? Are you not gonna sell the things, or are you doing this just for show off?" And I tell them that selling has never been my first priority. Uh. You know, representing thing is most important. It's like if you're going to sell something, how do you wrap it up, how you sell it, how you represent yes, it. Yes, yes. That's the important thing. Otherwise, I can do mass production and have it in Super Korak as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm going to sell so much as well. But this is this is not my thinking. That's and not, that's not. <laughs> what about a really good panita tabriz? Would you put the products? <laughs> would you put the products next to a panita? <laughs> Um, so, Salman, I, I, it, it, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for your time. I thank you for uh, doing it in English, and I, uh, I'm sure we'll speak again. Merci. I take it in force in the last of it. I thank you for your time. به امید اینکه من یک روزی هم گالری ما تو تورنتو داشته باشم و هم تو تهران که شما عزیزان را از نزدیک ببینم به امید that is Saman Tahirpur the founder of Kiani Concept Saman joined us from Gutenberg Sweden today That is full time for Rook for today. Remember, you can subscribe at our website, rookmedia.com. You can find our patrons page there as well to support and all of our episodes and links to our platforms, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Thoughtful Nagin, Ponta the Artist, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Master Muhammad, Captain Reza Groovy Shaya, and Aghai Mehrdad. 
Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. You can find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Mizunbushi. Bushi.